Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Chuch, and I am Chuchi, and today I'm coming to you as the Climate Buddha on July 14th, 2019. I'm over at my friend's house. We're having a Saturday afternoon discussion. This isn't published yet, so at this point we have no idea whether anyone is ever going to hear this, but I've decided to record the goings on. Right now we're having a good discussion about issues concerning climate change and whether or not climate change itself can be uh, dealt with on an intellectual and emotional level for the just the general population because these folks don't really are really familiar with the things that the climate Buddha has been saying in the past about climate change. So as a result, what you're hearing is you know the spontaneous realization of uh, the uh, of the message of the climate Buddha with human beings who are in you know experiencing this in real time. So this is not an interview as much as it's a discussion, and I don't have pretend to control as it goes here, but i got two friends with me who can remain as anonymous as they want, but they've agreed to do this, and, and uh, they've said that there's the rights to be reproduced, et cetera, are okay. And we're going to just discuss one of the big issues of the climate change community is the fact that there's something called sea level rise, and there's something called temperature rise that the two big consequences that have direct effect on civilization is whether the sea level goes up about 13 feet in about a, you know, a very short period of time, or whether the temperature goes from where it is now to a worldwide, you know, 1.7 degrees over baseline to say three or four degrees over baseline. That's a worldwide temperature increase of only two degrees, but that's an average. So it turns out when you increase average temperature, you add heat to the system, and there's a website that tells you how many nuclear bombs of heat that it takes to make one degree of temperature go up on the earth. And the climate Buddha doesn't remember the number, but it was something uh, in the billions. Yeah, so that means something in the billions. what for us. This is Sean Gorgon. Frank, thank you, Matthew. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to go with a little flow off of the um, – I got a sea level and rising temperature – what do you feel like is the rising temperature of the, I don't know, what's the temperature of the core of the earth right now or something like that? And is it like 70? Okay. Well, it's a really good point because the thing is when they talk about temperature rise, you got to realize it's going to be in relation to something. Okay. So by using ice core data where you can go underneath the Antarctic and just dig out a chunk of ice ah, that's dated – to within, you know, of like a decade of the, I don't know, I don't know how good it is, but you can take ice core data and put it, put it in a time frame because <laughs> it's yeah, linear yeah. How, how, you know, ice comes down in the Arctic's linear, so it's predictable. Yes. This predictable pattern means that we can predict what the weather was years ago. And, and it turns out that we've been in the steady paleo record of temperature now for uh, a long time and it all changed in 1850 when the invention of the steam machines mm. started to occur coal coal was being dumped in the atmosphere <laughs> in 1850 and they're all the uh, every metric of measurement of temperature from all different sources has shown an increase at around that time exactly every single one of them all the metrics of co2 all the other metrics of worldwide average temperature show an increase at that point so when you say, when the, what is the point of temperature rise? The point is pre-industrial baseline of average temperature, which was around 1800. We are now at about 1.75 degrees uh, Celsius over that point. That's some of the contention. Celsius, is that right? 1.75 to 1.8 over, yeah. industri over uh, industrial baseline. Industrial, but that's a contentious right, issue. Right, yes. That's what and there are a lot of people arguing different numbers than that, but that's the one the climate boot is using right now. Oh, nice. So it turns out that we are seeing the effects 
everywhere around us. Using a very short-term memory and the ability to push a button, you can get on Facebook and look at abrupt yeah. cl climate change science and see unbelievable evidence of worldwide flooding, heating world records going on. So we have a weather Armageddon that's statistically available to anybody with a Facebook feed right now that you can read. Turned out Australia had the world's hottest year it's ever had, and it's the world's hottest year for the 10th time in a row. All these records are being broken, and they're starting to accelerate in something called an exponential way. Not so, good news. This is Sean here. Um, not sounding good news here, um, Matthew. Um, I actually had a freaking A. I forgot a freaking question because I was going to ask you, in your opinion, it was one of those where you was like, wow, this is your almost like – so uh, here it comes back to me, something like this. Is it – so you're basically saying we're half screwed here as far as if the – the what's going on or are we already or what is else can we do differently is my main question because we got temperature rising te and the sea levels rising, correct? Those are the two main catastrophic effects which will take out civilization. Yes, and so there are other effects of climate change, but temperature yeah. rise and sea level rise have yeah. the worst possible <laughs> things that can happen. Three feet of additional sea level rise will pretty much take out Manhattan. Yeah. So you got to remember that it just doesn't take much in mm -hmm. the amount of predictions yeah. that are coming from the yeah. United States Navy. Navy. Are Not sea level good. rises of, you know, meters. And <laughs> meters? Two, in 2050. Okay, okay. So, so the thing is, is that right now, oh, 30 God years into damn. the future, they're Holy saying... Holy shit, three, me three meters yeah. in 2050. Oh, yeah. fuck. Oh, I might be wrong. Maybe yeah. it's six, or maybe it's two. But the point oh, is, wow. is if it's any more than where it is now, it's going to take out Miami. It's going to take out all these coastal cities, and it's just going to drown the Anawitok Islanders, the entire Micronesia world in the Polynesia, which we don't give a crap about. Unless we, get, <laughs> unless we get some T-shirts, you know, sewed over there, we'll be underwater. So there's a, just a, right there alone we're talking about a refugee crisis in the somewhere of the, you know, 50 to 100 million people living in suburbia that have to be moved. So the climate Buddha says we need to prepare for this and that we need to get ready for this massive civilization change that's occurring because it turns out that all these increases are what's called in science – Baked in. Baked they cannot in. be changed. Baked in? So we have at least another two to three degrees of temperature baked in from systems that are so scientifically reliable that it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of exactly when, but it's happening now. So we could be looking at a two to three degree increase in temperature over a three to four year period of time, and there is nothing. That's going to be able to deal I, with it. I feel hotter in Florida, man. And I know that other people that I've talked to have different climate, weird changes. Excuse me for a second. Go, go. And then, you know, it's like we talk parents from New England here, people in Utah, just little things, you know, not on Facebook connecting as far as seeing. But and but I see some stuff on Facebook, you know, but it happens all the time kind of ish. But it's like, wow, they really can feel. And I especially feel even since the time I've been down to Orlando that it kind of is just really a degree and a half two degrees feels like hotter it just really is you know and thank god we get little rain to cool things off from the humidity when the sun is out um in other places too but wow it's it's I, they feel hotter do do you would you like to comment on what your experiences of the weather in the recent two simple three years, level four years 
I, I just think that we should be using argon energy everywhere yeah. and to pull oh. our system. Yeah. Well, you're right. It turns yeah. out that trying to replace the existing energy infrastructure with solar or even argon energy or any other energy system that could be developed, we, we missed the window for that because all the changeover has what's called a carbon cost. For us to build the new machine that's going to make electricity, the new thing that's going to happen, that's going to be built, all the carbon costs of that are too much because it, it requires industrial <coughs> civilization to be going flat out. And the thing is, if industrial civilization is going flat out, we're, uh -huh. we're heating the planet. But this is where everything gets absolutely terrifyingly crazy. It's something called the aerosol masking effect. So back in 1850, when we started putting coal out in the world and the, the planet started to slightly heat up, because we can see it was slight in the beginning, and it's slight, 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 and then it's going, oh, hockey stick. So the thing is, is that slight's turning hot. It's called exponential change. So it turns out that that also puts something in the atmosphere that reflects the sun back. It's called sulfite, but it's, it's complex. So, so it's cooling the planet at the same time, but it's heating the planet more, so it's overwhelming the cooling effect. It's called the aerosol masking effect. So listen to this problem that we have as a species, is that if we shut down the production of CO2 <coughs> by shutting off all the coal plants and all the oil plants and all the plants, 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 and we stop throwing anything in the atmosphere at all, which sounds like a sensible thing to do when you have a CO2 problem, <laughs> the planet instantaneously heats up estimates of 1.7 to 3 degrees in about six months. Really? Because oh, all of this not effing good. All this reflective sulfite right. is, is, is right. a and it eventually floats <laughs> out of the atmosphere and down. ends up on the ground. And we know oh, now through shit. using the contrails of airplanes that you can throw a lot of things out of these things, they'll stay up in the sky long enough, but they all fall out at a certain point, and you have to put a more on another contrail up there to get the reflective effect. So this process of trying to create a lot of things in the atmosphere to reflect things back is what's being experimented on by Harvard right now. Harvard, through the money through the oil industry, has funded a worldwide geoengineering program ruled by Harvard, dumping real chemtrails officially in the public register into the sky. All of us conspiracy theorists knew about these chemtrails two decades ago. When did you learn about them? Think about it. How long ago did you know about them? Uh, ten years ago. Ten yeah. years ago? Yeah, ten, I knew about yeah. it at least more than ten years yeah, ago. Was, How about you? you I was back. about 15. You, you're, everybody I was, was sitting there going, yeah, what's going on? Like, like, and they well, all I said, oh, tinfoil. All these people got tinfoil on their heads. They're crazy that they're finding strontium in the exhaust of these things. And where is all this aluminum coming from? And, yeah. You know, all, all yes. this evidence, you know. And it's like, well, uh, you know, it was chemtrails. It was chemtrails. And it was chemtrails. And it was no, no, no. These people, tinfoil. But, well, Harvard's doing it now. But I'd like to yes. put enlightenment on the situation. Our UFOs are now are actually interfering with the chemtrails and clearing them out. There's orbs actually that's clearing the, the cloud barriers away now. Well, it turns out that Harvard, from our last piece of information, was doing just that. Is that they were trying to change the nature of the chemtrails from doing one thing to something else that they are trying to repair that the early chemtrail efforts didn't. 
So the science is backing this, and the orb system that you have there may very well be one of ours or invented by some guy in Russia and sold it to our through a patent you know, lawyer or something like that. But the thing is, these orbs that you're talking about existed in World War II. The uh, Foo Fighters, the entire existence of the Foo Fighters uh, rock and roll band was because they existed as an orb that was traveling in these convoys in World War II during bombing missions. They were being reported by multiple pilots. Oh, yes, saying, they were. yes, yes, yes. It's on some file, yeah. What are these things? We still don't know, do we? Do you no. know what they are? What? Tell me what your full understanding is. I'm hoping that they're higher frequency that's helping us clear our earth frequencies and to become more awakened as a human beings from the negative reptilians and Draco and AI technology and all that sort of stuff. So I work in a higher frequency. I don't work on low frequency. And uh, what's what's you know, frequency? What must call What's your baseline frequency? Zero to what? Well, what's, what's, average, what's average frequency? Like the, children, like the children today listen to low frequency. Uh, the so the music, rap, and all this other stuff is higher. Yeah, kind of like from four hundred to forty-two hertz and up is a higher frequency level that our benevolent uh, beings like to work with us. The sound that you're hearing is Sean uh, putting in the background, folks. So we've been talking. It's been 13, 21 minutes. My name's Matthew Chu from the Climate Blue. We got two friends. Hey, one more We're having a cumulative discussion about uh, the connection of climate change to all these efforts by uh, the government to uh, make us sound like we were tinfoil hat wearing for discussing chemtrails. And next thing you know, Harvard's working on a geoengineering program. So we, we would like to be apologized to. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm looking for an official apology that says, we're sorry we made fun of you all these years. <laughs> Remember we used to make fun of the geeks in high school? No, they're, no, they're our no, bosses I never now. Did. I never did. <laughs> they, they are our bosses. They run everything. I never did. I, never did. <laughs> I was doing programming in high school. Remember the, remember the DOS machines where you type in, you know, slash, slash, space, space, and they were like, I printed out the words. You know, help in the middle of the paper. Well, you know, that was took me forty-five minutes of programming. So, anyways, the idea of technological uh, and/or extraterrestrial solutions to the climate change problem has been a massive and extraordinarily well-explored issue. Uh, what's happening is that we have the United Nations, the IPCC, most yeah. important climate change international science thing. Everything's about the UN when it comes to climate, by the way, and they have. A huge amount of power as a result yeah. of their efforts, and uh, and the purpose of the UN, which I, I laud the effort of getting international cooperation instead of war. It certainly is a good goal, but in the end, the IPCC has been attacked and criticized as most large, huge, centralized, bureaucratic, ginormous organizations can be, and it turns out that some of their uh, um, climate change, you know, information is being challenged by what's called the abrupt climate change community. If you go to hashtag distribute power, hashtag instant radical change, hashtag logical radical, hashtag cheap cheap, well, you'll realize that there's a, a problem with the IPCC. It's just an institutional momentum in some cases that they're not keeping up with the pace of change. One more time. Let's see if you can understand that. So the most scientific credible body on the planet is saying that we have a pace of change that's X. And it turns out that we have a pace of change that's far beyond that. And one of the problems with the ways that the IPCC presents their pace of change is that they build in technological solutions that they believe the market economy, economy will, 
mysteriously and magically appear to solve the CO2 crisis. And it, unfortunately, un, unfortunately, it's too late, but if that machine existed, the numbers, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to uh, opednews.com and you type in the climate Buddha and you'll see the glossary of abrupt climate change that I wrote years ago, and you will see a piece of information about what's called the math problem. <laughs> what's the math problem? Thank you. Thank you, Sean. The math problem is, is that the numbers involved in climate change are so big yeah. that you have to use some sort of imaginary extrapolation to understand hundreds and hundreds of billions to say that if you were to suck enough CO2 out of the atmosphere and you got to around, say, 60 billion of something, even if it was the size of a... Of a uh, cube of sugar, you'd be looking at piles of this stuff that would be going to Jupiter. So you just can't make sense <laughs> of the numbers until you get this kind of graphic visualization of the problem's size. The mathematics of the amount of CO2 that has been dumped into the atmosphere, that just the number itself, if we were to remove each ton, some magical machine could do that, it would fill stadiums and stadiums and stadiums. It's just so much of it. This is the math problem. Yeah. So when we say we yeah. want to have alien technology to fix this, yeah, and we need some genius, some super Tesla person like it's Tesla, already there that's already done. Someone it comes through and says we need a solution to this, and my name is Tesla. I'm reincarnated, and this is how. You we need every effort to do it, but it turns out there's this huge civilization cost to doing these projects, and we don't think we have enough time. Right. The reason why the abrupt climate change community is terrified of the next two or three years is that we are almost at something called a blue ocean event. For the first time in recorded history, no, green land. no more ice in the Arctic. It'll be a big black ocean. And when you give it a big black ocean, the sun soaks it up at a ratio. There's math here, science and thermodynamics. When you take a white ocean, it reflects. You take a black ocean, it absorbs heat. The effect of this will be instantaneous. It could be a rise of worldwide temperature in, in a four or five month period of time. We're terrified of this. We think the effects of it are already happening now. The jet stream is doing unbelievably bizarre things. The jet stream has never done this type of stuff. It's what's getting weak. We're having stationary weather patterns. People, low pressure areas stay there for two months. Never had that before. We're having, you know, 12 inches of rain occurring in, you know, Phoenix. There's never happened before. We're having these variations in temperature and in, in weather that are extraordinarily rare, all happening around the world simultaneously. This is evidence of abrupt climate change. So the work of Guy McPherson, who's a professor and who's been, this is his, been, his thing until he got fired and talked too much. This guy has been screaming for years, we're in a short-term situation. And everyone goes, no, there's no way for that to happen. There's, there's just long-term stuff going on here. Don't worry about it. He's not a short-term. We got this problem called methane. Because it, 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 it's all around the Arctic. This, this ice, it's frozen ice methane. It's called a clathrate. It's terms of science, lots of science, all science, science, methane, methane science, because you can turn it into a fuel. 
So you can imagine if you could turn this stuff to feel what the geological engineer, you know, engineers at Exxon have been doing with methane, they'd love it. This is how you turn stuff into natural gas. Methane is basically natural gas. So this is frozen. It's everywhere. And there's trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of tons of it everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> and it's all around the Arctic trillion. shelf. The whole yeah. big chunk of the Arctic. There's shitloads of this frozen methane. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so wow. next thing, next thing you know, you take the ice off the Arctic, and the met and the Arctic Ocean heats up a few degrees pretty quick. And that melts the methane frozen ice at a rate that we think in years can change the world's climate two or three degrees in two years or less. So that's called the methane bomb hypothesis. And it was proffered by the climate change community as evidence for the reason to stop everything now. Carl Sagan was right. We cannot continue this carbon economy without consequence. We have to stop. These are people. So we're beyond carbon. We're beyond carbon. So that's. I mean, just so the stuff that we're proposing right now to do and have been doing, it's just a temporary. We gotta hope to find Tesla change the environment. Almost, kind of. You understand what I'm saying? I'm putting you on the spot for saying this. Well, you're you're putting me on the exact correct conclusion. (laughs) The thing is, is that. You hang around this world as long as I have, and you hear the data and the patterns right. that you see it. You get to a point where you're no longer debating it in your own mind. You're going, yeah, yeah, we probably got two years, two years. Shit's going to start happening really bad soon, and it's starting to happen really bad soon. You're going, oh, there's all the evidence. Yep, we're, we're going to be, we're going to deep shit. So the thing is that the whole problem of climate change becomes we can't fix it, so we have to deal with it on an emotional and spiritual level. Yeah. And yeah, this is called tough. the near-term human extinction. The what? Near-term human extinction. Near, okay. N-T-H-E. Yeah. N-B-A. Uh-huh. I Thank helped you. coin that term with Did Guy really? McPherson. Guy McPherson? The Guy McPherson. He and I are friends. Bullshit. No. I know. I'm, I'm kidding. I got his number. I can talk to him. But I don't talk to him often because, you know, if I don't have something you know serious to say, then I just sound like I'm interviewing him. He but anyways, probably. I can get them on, the, on, my, on my show at, at any point I want to. I have, you guys are literally the first you know, interviews that I've had with it because it's just mostly me talking about this part of the process. Uh-huh. Because we've got a window Where, okay. of how many years of industrial civilization intact. At 120 degrees in New York, is going to be really hard to keep it working. It's just energy not gonna, one time down. No, no. Your, 25 hurricanes going through floors going to make you know yeah, going to the public is really hard. So, like the thing is that there's a lot of mechanisms that can shut down everything, and if, before all of those things get shut down, until we have another complete flooded Midwest food production system, dust bowls, whatever the hell the agricultural and, systems yeah. go, these are all happening. Simultaneously, there's just no, there's been world record non-planting due to disaster in this last year. World record, never been done like this. This is become climate change. So it turns out that the question becomes, we got a limited amount of time for limited, and through a very clear mechanism, scientifically, that's going to make growing food impossible. Yeah, if you can't grow food, we have to then go, no kidding, I was thinking about this. I will have, well, hopefully... Choose the process, chemical structured food, Matthew, yes or no ish. Well, the idea of having a, the ability to hydroponic yourself out of this problem. What is that? What's that? 
What is that? 5G. 5Gs. Oh, that's the picture you sent me. It's 5Gs. What? Tell me the 5G issue. Yeah, it's almost your point of view. Why 5G is so good. 5G is not good. It sucks the oxygen out of the people. And the problem is they're turning it up inch Higher. by inch to actually Did you know that use an energy weapon to actually um, stop the um, women from having uh, double periods to them um, not seceding, seceding at all. Childbirth. To not, okay, not, okay. Childbirth. Yep, yep, to, yep. Um, what do you call them? To manage the population. Totally annihilating yes. um, their sperm count. Yeah, so it's controlling to. It's, it's yeah. a very serious thing, and the only thing you can do is you can go to empowermovement.com. If your government or your um, your politician, you feel like you got poisoned, just like Roundup, you can go to them and say, well, you know, you're supposed to protect and serve the Constitution of the United States, and I'm going to sue you for that because 5G is a very serious, dangerous thing that we should really look at. And it does heat up our, you know, atmosphere as well. Well, it turns out that I used to work in the uh, uh, telecommunications industry. I was working as an adjunct to the cell phone tower. Sean, that's being recorded. Your washing dishes is being recorded. So I, I used to work in the cell phone industry. And the, and the cell phone industry uh, itself, how it functions through the radio towers, etc., had health risks back then. John, could you, could you watch?